especially in-person gathering is much more powerful than like online. The convincing power of your speech online and in-person is not comparable. Because like when you see someone on stage talking like with body gesture, not just like 200 times 200 pixel on a screen, right? You can feel like the depth of their voice, like how they managed to convince look in your eyes. So in-person is much, much more impactful in terms of like making new connection. Hello everyone and welcome to the Business Success Japan podcast. This is your host, Liddy Bukelman. This podcast is made for those who want to develop or strengthen the communication skills, cultural savvy, insights into current trends and conditions, and mindsets that are essential in a Japanese business environment. The helpful practical suggestions and engaging insights offered here provide listeners with the in-depth cultural context needed to achieve their own version of success while collaborating with Japanese counterparts. I'm sorry for the pause in episodes, but I am back and I am ready for another season after an unplanned but much needed break. Thank you all so much for your patience, and I can't wait to share the conversations that I've already recorded and the ones that I have planned for the coming months. So be sure to follow or subscribe if you haven't already so that you don't miss a thing. In today's episode, I get to chat with Philip Kinn. Philip is the founder of the language exchange app SeiwaYu, fluent in Cambodian, French, English, and Japanese with an N1 certification. His app focuses on helping people connect in person to build their language and communication skills. Be sure to stick around to learn more about his story as a solo founder in Japan. Thanks, Lydia, for having me today. So my name is Philip, and I'm 26 years old, and I was born in Cambodia but grew up in France. So I moved to France when I was seven years old and spent my whole education life there. And uh, on my last two years of university, I had an opportunity to do an exchange year in Japan, in Kobe University. So I spent one year there. And then after that, six months of internship in a Japanese company, and then start my career here in Tokyo. So it's been now four years in Tokyo. And I was working on different jobs as a software engineer while building on the site my projects about you that I can talk a little bit more in details later. We're definitely going to be talking more about the app later, but first, would you mind telling me a little bit more about why you ended up in Japan? So like many others, I kind of like get exposed to the Japanese culture and media because it's really well exported abroad and uh, things like Japanese music, drama, anime, mangas, but like the thing that stuck with me and that triggered kind of like my interest into the country was when I, for the first time, heard the Japanese language itself. So basically, Japanese media, like when exported to abroad, they are sub or dub into the country language. And like for the first time, when I couldn't get an episode of a drama or anime in the French version, so I needed to search for the Japanese version. And that was the first time when I heard like anime dubbed in Japanese. And I was like, wow, the voice actor, they're really great at making and showing emotion. Like when the character get angry, they really show the emotion. And the language itself sounds really melodic. And that's why I decided to kind of like take a deeper look into the Japanese language. So try to, you know, learn kind of 
things on the internet, just know the basics. And just by trying to find more about the language, I also discover more about the culture in the country. And that's why, yeah, I'm getting into the Japanese culture as well. And I got an opportunity to spend one year in Kobe University when I was in university. And spending like one year in the Japanese university life campus, it just feel like great to live here. Like life is comfortable, you know, you know, all the things, right? <laughs> about Japan. So yeah, after that, I did six months of internship. So it was the first time I discovered like the professional side of working in Japan. And after that, I decided to start my first job and career in Tokyo. So then... Could you share a little bit about the experience you had working at Microsoft in Japan for a while? I know a lot of people yeah, are kind sure. of interested mm-hmm. in trying to find jobs at big foreign mm-hmm. companies in Japan. So it'd mm-hmm. be great to hear a little bit more about what you experienced. Sure. So four years in Tokyo, I actually worked for three different companies. <laughs> so yeah, my first company was like a French insurance company based in like a they have office here in japan as well so it was like one year and a half working as a software developer so basically doing web development projects and after that i quit for three months trying to get off my company but couldn't because of like visa issue and then i worked for a japanese mid-sized startup as a software engineer again for like seven months and then one day like microsoft japan hr person reached out to me to like bring and get an offer opportunity. And uh, it was a completely different job compared to what I've been doing so far. So it wasn't like a software engineer job, but rather like a technical trainer. So basically it's like a technical teacher. So I teach different concepts around like the cloud, data, AI, securities, fundamentals to Microsoft Japan's clients, but also like other fellows in the tech. So it was like a job where I need to speak all day long actually. <laughs> so <clears throat> it was kind of like a different aspect of skills that I need to master. And uh, spending three years already coding, I was like, okay, so I've been coding for a while. I also code for my own project. So maybe it's time to move to something else because if I wanted to build my own company, I cannot just be a CTO or just a founder. I need to be a CEO, right? And a CEO is someone who should be really good at communicating the ideas, trying to convey your message and storytelling. And that's why I accepted the job. So one year and a half at Microsoft. And so the experience itself was great, but <laughs> there's a big but because like uh, I joined at the peak of COVID. So 2020 March. So it, I joined and uh, we're supposed to have an onboarding in Germany with like the other members of the global team. But then COVID hit and then every flight get canceled. So we had to do that online. So yeah, everything changed to online. (laughs) My job was supposed to be like up to 50 to 75% of business travel. And that's what I signed for actually as well. But Everything switched to online, so zero business trip for one year and a half. And uh, when I quit to start my own company, I didn't meet my like I didn't meet my global team members nor my manager. 
So it was like a, a good experience online, <laughs> but still I got to meet some local, like Japanese local members as well at the Shinagawa station office. So, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people ended up in situations that they didn't quite sign up for <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> the past few years. Yeah. Did you find any big differences in the work culture between the three companies that you experienced while in Japan? Yeah. So the first company, even though it was French headquartered company, but because the Japanese office usually used to be an insurance company that get acquired and kind of like merged together. So the culture is still Japanese-ish and uh, like maybe up 90, 90% of the like staff are Japanese people. And the culture itself, because like I, I was working in IT, so like doing programming stuff. So we have like I have international colleagues, but like on the marketing and sales side, it's really like Japanese culture, working culture. So because I, I, I couldn't compare that to the French working culture because I've never spent like my professional life in France. But I could tell that like people work hard, but sometimes it's really hard to quantify the efficiency or these kind of things. I know I, I won't go into the details, but like, so that was like a big company, not tech tech company, but like a, a big company in Japan. And then seven months in a mid-sized Japanese company. And that was a different story. <laughs> so the things like the stereotype that we used to have for maybe Japanese workers that they are not efficiency, they are working on Excel spreadsheet and these kind of things. It's not applicable on at that startup, like everything runs so fast. Like we release new version of the product every like two weeks or months. And uh, yeah, it goes really fast. And the software engine, like the Japanese software engineer working at a startup, they're really good. I mean, like in my first company, they are really also really good software engineers, but I was surprised by the amount of work they can produce in a short amount of time. I remember that there was like one, lead engineer who built like a whole product for the company with like some help for from other people but it was basically really like efficient engineers who can code really complex things and yeah the software itself is really you know a big gap between what i was working before and now you know startup things doing like kind of like deep tech things so and at microsoft because it wasn't technical things i cannot compare that in some of technical aspect, but I thought like everyone was bilingual. <laughs> That's what I think when joining Microsoft Japan, but then I realized like in my team, like not everyone speaks English, but still they belong to a global team. So they need somehow to communicate with their managers. So they try their best to improve the English as well. But yeah, basically <laughs> that was kind of like the experience. But why do you think there was such a big contrast between the startup and the nominally French, but really Japanese in terms of work mm -hmm. style company? Is it mm -hmm. just the age of the company itself? Is it how incentives are aligned within the company? What do you mm -hmm. think is kind of the foundation of that? <laughs> I think one of the reasons might be people works visibility. Because like it was a huge company, like the insurance company. So people like join and uh, it, it's kind of like people was involved were involved in projects and 
you cannot really know what the impact of the contribution to the world because like it's a big team but like in a small startup where you have like five engineers building three products you can see the impact right and even though like the startup was a remote first company like we have office in tokyo as well but like a lot of members are spread across the country like in sapporo okinawa and other places as well and communication happen on slack on trello and this kind of like you know online management project tools and so it pushed people to be more efficient and more kind of like because everything you do can be visible to anyone and the project itself is just more exciting <laughs> i mean like we 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 were building something that is used from big companies and you can see it's like an innovative project and uh, the product is really good and you can just feel like proud about your work rather than you know in a big company you, your contribution is limited so you cannot really feel the impact the positive or negative but in a startup is really like visible so yeah that's kind of like maybe the difference yeah that makes a lot of sense and that's probably true in the vast majority of countries not just japan <laughs> so then another thing that i saw on your linkedin quite a while ago when you first kind of <laughs> came onto my radar was getting your permanent residency in japan so the common <laughs> wisdom is you put in your time live in japan for 10 years and then you get your residencies kind of the normal track but you were able to speed that up a little bit in your mm-hmm. situation could you tell us a little bit more about that yeah sure so there's a point system in japan so in theory you can get the japanese permanent residency within one year and a half but like most people come to japan without maybe without knowing the existence of that visa and it was the case for me as well so when i came to japan I got like a working visa and when I wanted to get my company off the ground like incorporate legally and represent it as like the representative it wasn't possible with just a working visa so I did my research and found out about like some alternative like the business manager visa which requires a lot of things like capital but also employees capital or employees and also like a physical office back then and then there was like startup visa which is a little bit difficult to get and it lasts only like 6 months you need to renew it every year or every 6 months back then <laughs> and there was like that thing is called the permanent residency which normally take 10 years but with points so basically points are points that you can get based on your personal criteria and also based on your work condition for example if you have 5 years of working experience you can get more points if you have like the GLPT N1 and N2 you can also get points your salary the more like the higher the higher the more points you can get and this kind of thing so i discovered that and uh, so the first time when i quit my first job after one year and a half into my career i wanted to get that first after knowing that it was impossible for me to get the business manager visa So I joined a startup but then I didn't get enough points to get to the threshold of getting it to one year so basically it's 80 points. So I got like 75 points and then I was about to stay there for like 3 years so 3 years is when you get 70 points. So I was ready to stay there for 3 years and then one day Microsoft reached out to me 
And then I was like, okay, so I can accelerate that and shorten three years to one year. So yeah, basically I just jumped from job to job in order to get quickly to build my company. So is that something that you would recommend other foreigners in Japan try to make a priority getting their own permanent residency in Japan? Or does it really just depend on what you're hoping to do in the country? So if you want to build your own things in Japan, and maybe that's why you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> and if you do a quick math and realize that you get close to 70 or 80 points, definitely go for it. Even like 70 points is just three years of wait. And you can get to that because it's so much freedom after getting the PR, like the permanent residency. You don't need to worry about renewing your visa. You don't need to worry about having to find a Japanese co-founder to be the CEO of the company, to be the legal representative. So it's just much more freedom if you can get close to that threshold of 70 or 80 points. So I would recommend to do that. But if you come to Japan and then you think, all right, so I'm the kind of person who want to build a company together with a Japanese friend, this kind of things, and you, you are not in a rush, you can just, yeah, you know, wait for a while and just work as a co-founder and having the Japanese co-founder as a representative for the company. Or you can also go for the route of the business manager visa, which requires 5 million of capital. And so I've heard story about one guy who kind of like hacked the system. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can say that, but like, <laughs> so it's just like, you know, I've heard that at an event. So he basically asked a Japanese friend to be his company CEO for a few days in order to secure like a bank loan or something. And then as soon as he get the money and then he switched back to be the CEO and get the business manager visa. And like, you know, they sign a contract saying that, you know, you can be CEO for a few days and then switch back kind of things. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like there are a few things that you can do to get around how they think that things should be structured in terms of mm -hmm. opening a business in Japan. But yeah, definitely mm -hmm. consult with a lawyer if you're ever hoping mm -hmm. to get a little exactly. bit creative yep. <laughs> in those situations. <laughs> so what has been your experience as a founder trying to build a business part-time originally? So when I freshly graduated and started my career, I didn't know about like the startup ecosystem because like nowadays when people build startup, you kind of like build the startup into a framework, you know, for example, trying to find co-founder, brainstorming ideas with your co-founders, preparing pitch deck and trying to go to pitch events trying to raise money and even like doing months of user interviews. But for me, it was just like a way to have a side project, a playground where I can just improve my technical skills. So I just wanted to be a better software engineer and uh, building software is kind of like addictive. <laughs> you know, when it started with a blank screen and then you have like a full blown product used by people, you just feel happy about that and you want to keep working on it and so for me it was like just me on my spare time and on weekends trying to build that and it was also like the obvious issue about language barrier in Japan like a lot of Japanese people are really good at writing but not really at speaking a foreign language so I'm trying to fill that gap by providing a service like Sebayu to help you connect with all the natives nearby 
so that you can speak and practice in person. So my experience about building that part-time was that, so when I was building that part-time, I finished my job, then went back, like went to the gym, clear my head and then start to code. So everything was like a positive contribution. Like everything kind of like falls under the learning or like I'm hustling, grinding. So, you know, it feels good. You know, you get your dopamine dose and stuff. But then after I quit my job and went full-time to build Sewayu, I needed to choose how I would spend my time much more wisely. Because like now I'm trying to, like that's the only thing that I have, right? I don't have job, I don't have salary. <laughs> so I need to carefully choose what to work on and find things that can push the business forward much more significantly than before, right? Given my restricted resources, like I have maybe one year-ish of savings and I have limited time and energy. So I tried to do that and test and clear as many hypotheses as possible because every hour spent working just for the sake of working is equal to losing my hourly salary back when I was in a corporate, right? <laughs> so yeah, I have like a clock ticking. <laughs> so maybe I can give some advice for like avoiding burnout or something. I would recommend having hobbies that is not related to a computer or screen, like sports, doing exercise. I like going to onsen. <laughs> That's really great. And one of the reasons that I like Japan as well. So definitely go to onsen. And uh, try to share your work because it can sometimes inspire people and get their, like, a small sparkle in their mind to spawn into something. I don't know. But like, share your work publicly. You can also have like a track record for that. So you can share your work and uh, talk to your product users as well, give you feedback. And also, important thing is to take screenshot of videos about your work just for yourself. Like I have an entire folder with just like old version of Sevayu with screenshots. So that can be used in a different way. Like one day I can create a video YouTube, like telling the story of Sevayu. I can show the screenshot. I already did that as well. And uh, it just feels good to look back at what you have accomplished so far. Like on some days when you feel a little bit down, you can look back and say, oh yeah, that's like, that's the, the work that it requires to get to that. But I managed to overcome it. So it feels good and keep you moving. And uh, yeah, take time to slow down a little bit and reflect. And Onsen is good for that as well. And just have basically general good hygiene and lifestyle because like, Burnout just happen when you're tired and you lack sleep. So exercise and have a good lifestyle. Because there will always be more work to do, you know. Another email to reply, another bug to fix, another enhancement feature to jot it down. And, uh, you know, so learn how to stop working to avoid burnout. But then <laughs> that's kind of like... Uh, unpopular opinion when you're in the mode of working do not stop if you don't feel like stopping just because it's like 2 a.m i sometimes like fix a bug until 4 a.m in the morning just because i'm already in that mood and if i stop working on that and the next day i will forget my 
thought process. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, balancing the discipline with taking advantage of being in the zone because that is definitely a force exactly. too. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> but I'm also definitely looking forward to onsen season again. But <laughs> going mm-hmm. back to what you were saying about gathering evidence of your progress, that's also something that I experienced with the podcast, where in theory, I could go back and listen to the old podcasts. But the sense of dread I get from the idea of listening to the old podcast mm. is enough proof to know, okay, I have made progress. In terms of <laughs> exactly. So definitely, mm-hmm. definitely keep track of where you've been because it does help you appreciate how far you've been able to come. Mm-hmm. And also just somebody who is very introverted and because of that, being an entrepreneur, having solo projects, all of that appeals to me as well. I definitely agree with taking the time to talk to and connect with people as well, because it's very easy if you're very introverted to just go into your little corner and work on your projects day after day after day. But I think that's another way that you can quickly burn out, even if you are an introvert like me. (laughs) So a little bit of a tangent, but just a couple of things I wanted to highlight. You've also been doing some work fundraising lately, and I'm really curious about how that's been going for you as well, especially still working as a one-man venture in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. So I quit my last job in like 10 months ago. And back then, I wasn't involved in the startup community yet. And then one day I post like on LinkedIn about my resignation from my last job. And it kind of like just get viral. Like the post on LinkedIn got like 9,000 likes and a lot of people share it and comment on it. And then I got an old friend reaching out to me like that I met a few years ago at an event. And uh, he said like, yeah, you should come to my school. Like he was like a director of the school and uh, they sometimes hold events. And uh, so I went there, listened to like an event. And then they asked me to be a speaker on the next event. So I said, yeah. It was the first time that I speak openly about Sewayu as my job, right? And after that, like there was one person in the audience that now become my friend as well. He in, like he liked my stories and uh, he decided to introduce me to another person that happens to be like uh, another founder as well. And then we talk over lunch and then he decided also to introduce me to another person who is involved in the VC world, right? So I talked to them and then, you know, that was my first step into the VC or like startup ecosystem. And that was like last year, December or like this year, January. So I talked with that. And then when I was about to kind of like close, trying to find a way to raise money, I was preparing pitch deck and all these things that takes a lot of time as well. And then, so I reached out to that VC and then it was right before the Nematsu, so before the end of the year. And so here, small advice, but do not try to start something before the Nematsu, right? <laughs> People will forget about you and like, you know, you just lose like social momentum on this kind of important things. So better start after January. Yeah, they literally have Bonen Kai, so forget the year parties. Be mindful of that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) literally. Yeah, and uh, so after January, I sent like a follow-up email, but didn't get like follow-up after that. So I decided just to focus on making the product better because I realized like, even though I want to raise capital 
I wasn't in the need of raising capital like as soon as possible yet. I can still feel that the product is not really ready yet. And, uh, you know, being a, a technical founder, I'm biased toward actions. Raising money takes a lot of time, but like the return on investment cannot be seen instantly, right? <laughs> so I was just like diving deep into coding and then make the product better. So it took me like a few other months. And then like talking to users, talking to friends, sharing feedbacks and these kind of things. And a few months after that, it was just still me coding the product. But then I decided to put the payment system and I realized like people start to pay <laughs> for my product. I was like, wow, it was like the first time in my entire life making money on my own. <laughs> it was like a pro membership on Sevayu. It costs like 500 yen per month. And uh, yeah, I can make money online, right? <laughs> and it was like a big leverage to kind of validate your startup and your product as well. People are ready, people are ready to swipe the credit card for your product. So, And after that, I got like an ex-colleague who connected me and said, would you mind if I introduce you to a friend who is now building a VC? I was like, sure, yeah. <laughs> so I get introduced to a Japanese local, like small VC, and we have a call over Zoom. It was like a few people and like the community members. And we have a Zoom call. It was just me and uh, like four different people. And uh, I just demo the app, talk about the product, like no pitch deck, nothing. <laughs> Nothing about like numbers, like what's the market size, like this kind of like classical thing, you know. It was just like, you know, there's an obvious issue about language, like learning a language in Japan. People learn it, but couldn't master it at some point, right? So there's an obvious market and need for that. And there are plenty of apps doing that as well. So it also validated the idea. So it was just me talking about my vision, about how I plan to grow the app and put that into the world. And after that, they decided to meet me in person over a coffee. And we meet in a coffee. And so after two meetings, they decided to invest. I was like, holy hell. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, like I spent a few weeks crafting like pitch deck and then, you know, nothing came out of that. And maybe I should just go pitch more because like those kind of things also, you can also successfully get fundraising just by pitch deck, uh, like uh, go pitching, right? But it's, it's just like a lot of time spending on things that couldn't really improve the product itself. And uh, since I'm just a one man, like time I spent on pitching is time that I couldn't spend on improving the product. So yeah, so after two meetings, they decided to invest and it takes like one month of like kind of like small due diligence. And yeah, so now I got the money and the connection that soon will be also. So now I'm trying to hire a full-time marketer. So shameless plug here. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast until here, I'm trying to look for a Japanese native bilingual marketer. So doing content creation, YouTube videos, podcasts, and uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. Be sure to reach out if that's something you think you'd be interested in. Thanks for sharing a little bit more about your experience with the community in Tokyo. Have you done much on LinkedIn in particular? Because that's honestly, it's all that I've been able to do because of my location being so far from Tokyo. But I found that to be a powerful resource as well. Has that been your experience? So I'm lucky to be in Tokyo because there are a lot of 
events that happen in Tokyo. And uh, so even yesterday I went to an event with all the founders and, uh, you know, so yeah, it's a great place. And Tokyo startup ecosystem is kind of small. You get to meet people that you already met in a previous event. So people are kind of like uh, gathering together, trying to help each other. So that's really good. And they are happy to give you like a warm or friendly introduction to other people that might help you as well, because you never know what happened and what can lead to meet another person, right? So these kind of events always say yes, especially when you're invited as like a speaker or something, even like guest blogging, podcasting, always say yes, you never know what happened. And uh, But at the same time, it's kind of like really time consuming, like really demanding to go to an event, right? So a lot of like those meetups and network session can make you feel good about your business, talk to a lot of people. But at the end of the day, you need to build the things, right? <laughs> so, so take those events as a way to kind of relax and get to make new friends, new connections, but also like just trying to generally help others because you never know by helping others in the future what will happen, right? Maybe the person that you help connecting with someone else might be someone that might join your company in the future. So always be trying to connect generally with people. Do not always sound like a salesman trying to pitch your startup or something. Just go there, have fun, few drinks, and uh, yeah, make new friends. Yeah, I think that's great advice. But the power of networking is definitely a big thing. And I can only imagine it's more so if you're trying to start your own venture. Yep. Especially in-person gathering is much more powerful than like online. You know, even, even when you do a pitch online, the convincing power of your speech online and in person is not comparable. Because like when you see someone on stage talking like with body gesture, not just like 200 time 200 pixel on a screen right you can feel like the depth of their voice like how they manage to convince look in your eyes so in person is much much more impactful in terms of like making new connection so then are there any qualities in particular that you think are essential for people who want to try to start a new business in japan at some point so try to be able to understand Japan from the inside. That's kind of like what I realized building on things here is that a lot of startups or companies like foreign companies try to build their things and try to push or impose that to Japanese users. And because the business idea might not be on the same wave kind of as the Japanese culture. So sometimes it doesn't fit. So try to understand Japan from the inside being like think like a Japanese so if I'm a Japanese user would I like to for example show my profile picture on an app to strangers this kind of thing so you need to understand that and uh, another thing is if you're serious about building your business in Japan you should equally be serious about mastering the Japanese language like at the fluent level because like building a successful business takes years right and you might as well spend that time in parallel dedicated to learning and mastering the language because 
if you don't understand the language, you cannot have a deep understanding of people's behavior and their way of thinking and the real motivation behind each of the action. So that is equal to, you're not able to provide an optimized or well thought product that can be the best product that solve the issues. So yeah, mastering the language at a really advanced level would be my recommendation. But that's a different story if your target audience is not Japanese people or doesn't have anything to do with Japan. And so understanding why some aspect of the culture is like what it is, is really important to build your business ideas around it so that you can find a pinpoint that people share. And uh, yeah, just embrace the fact that Japanese clients or users might not act in the way that you expect it. Cause like, for example, on Seva, you send service and ask for like feedback or something. Japanese people are the least responding <laughs> to those surveys. So yeah, just accept that fact and uh, just understand that this might help you improve your message that can resonate with them if you talk into they not only just language but into the context of the culture as well oh and one last thing maybe localize your app from day one in japanese <laughs> that's really important mm. mm -hmm. yeah i think those are all really good points because it seems like a lot of the stories i hear where companies or products flop majorly in japan it's for some obscure cultural reason sometimes they're more obvious mm -hmm. but a lot of times it's a little bit more obscure mm. so the more you can kind of understand japan and its people a lot of which is in is a big part of the language i think the better equipped you'll be mm, <laughs> to be exactly. successful so then i want to hear a little bit more about your app because i unfortunately live in the middle of nowhere and have not been able to use the app but mm -hmm. would you mind sharing a little bit more about it with my audience sure so sevayu is a location-based language exchange app that allows you to find natives that speak the language that you're learning. So basically I'm trying to focus on in-person practice, but the app itself can be used like you can talk to anyone in the world. Like there's an interactive map where you can find people on the map. You can directly reach out to them and talk and there are like correction features where you can just practice online. You can also call, but trying to really push forward the in-person practice. So that's kind of like the idea behind it. And many users are based in Tokyo. So I get to meet a lot of people as well from Sewayu. We have like good conversation. I'm trying to learn Chinese as well. So I met a few like Chinese users as well. And the fact is trying to build a social app where it's required to meet in person. It's kind of like difficult. One of the main issues that I face trying to grow the app is people who register for the first time in some area where there's no one, they're going to churn. Like 80% of the, the users trying to register when they're based in a location where there's no one around, they churn. <laughs> and uh, so here's the thing. Maybe the message is not clear or I purposely leave it as like chat less and just meet more. So it's kind of like a small sacrifice at the beginning that I'm trying to bet on, like really push forward into that in-person practice because we crave for 
human interaction, you know, during two years of COVID confinement, like the number of new people I can meet, I, I met can be count on one hand, right? <laughs> and uh, so we know that nothing can emulate the real life interaction. Because like even now on a Zoom call, if I were to do like a Japanese or English lesson, the teacher will kind of like help me, but the condition is so perfectly idealized, right? There's no background noise. I cannot see like what you are trying to look at, like your body gesture doesn't really reflect. And so the in-person situation is really something that can only be mastered by meeting someone in real life. <laughs> so that's kind of like a niche market that I'm trying to go into. And so, yeah, the difficulty to quickly build a cluster of user in a specific location at the beginning is the main challenge. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. But there are already quite a few apps that focus on just, oh, connect with somebody anywhere in the world. There isn't a whole lot out there that focuses on trying to get people to meet in person. So I can definitely yep. see that be a really distinctive mm -hmm. characteristic of the app. Hopefully someday I'll live somewhere that there are people. <laughs> <laughs> so, or so there will be more people in your area. That would be yeah. great too. <laughs> that would also be good. Mm -hmm. So... Do you have any personal examples of a communication breakdown that you've experienced that you, comes to mind that you think might be due to cultural differences? So actually, I, I wish I could come with like a funny story or a funny anecdote about that, but I couldn't really think of one. So actually, there will always be some like unclear points when you're trying to write an email. And uh, so your job is just to be sure that you understand everything, including things between the lines. And that's really something in the Japanese culture. You need to read and be able to read between the lines really well. <laughs> so just make sure to ask clarification question, clarifying questions, follow up question without hesitation, because spending just a few extra minutes and write an extra message to ask those clarifying questions can save you maybe days wasted because there's a miscommunication, right? And uh, the other side will be happy to answer to clarify the situation. So both sides can work on something and not just go in a direction that it wasn't what was planned from the beginning. So yeah. Yeah, prevention is the best way to deal mm -hmm. with communication exactly. issues. <laughs> So if you were chatting with somebody who was going to Japan for business and they really didn't have time to learn a whole lot about the country, the language, mm -hmm. or the culture, what would you choose to have them learn about Japan before they get here? So from personal experience, like for things like friendship, colleagues, relationship, if neither of you speak a common language fluently, either like Japanese or English or any language. Usually one build deep relationship and conversation will be kept at a like superficial level. That's kind of like I feel when seeing like other maybe foreign friends trying to make Japanese friends. I just feel like because of the language barrier, you cannot really go deep into a topic, trying to discuss advanced concept and it just you know, because of that conversation 
will be superficial like why you come to japan like oh what what did you do like small talks you know <laughs> and uh, so if you come to japan in a mindset of starting a business so business agreement important decisions building strong relationship those kind of things often sometimes only happen during those deep conversation right i've listened to one of your like your communication episode like where japanese people really become themselves after a few drinks that's kind of true as well but like if you like even being sober you can have like a proper professional but also like deep conversation with someone if you were to talk that language really fluently so that's my belief as well and i'm kind of like biased as well because i've experienced spending my student life in japan not really fluent in japanese after becoming fluent in japanese like there's a huge gap between how strong a relationship with someone can be if you were to understand that person's language right there's a saying about that <laughs> i don't want to be like cheesy or something but like if you talk to someone in a language they understand like you talk to their head you know the stuff right and if you talk to someone in the native language you talk to like their heart or something like that so it's really true and uh, it's even truer in japan kind of that's what i realized and in terms of like business wise kind of advice i would say it's really hard to try to change someone's behavior so i, I have like a funny story so i met a guy on like a japanese man on sewayu so we grab a coffee together and uh, he was japanese when we talk online his english level was pretty good but then when i met him and uh, so after a few you know exchange i start to talk a little bit in japanese and he realized that my japanese was good so he stopped talking in english <laughs> and i was like why why you don't want to talk in english and he, his answer was like I don't want to be seen publicly talking in English with another Japanese. And I was like, I'm not Japanese, <laughs> but like you're Asian. <laughs> and I was like, so he actually doesn't want to be seen with another like Asian or Japanese talking a different language than their own. Because like, why the heck will you use English when you're Japanese, right? And like, he was kind of like embarrassed about his English, not perfect enough. Or not good enough and so that's kind of like a funny story <laughs> so instead of like trying to change those people behavior try just to find an alternative way to solve the problem For example if they are afraid of being seen publicly talking in english maybe find a a way to do those exchange in a public place dedicated to language exchange for example or doing a group exchange instead of like one on one and another alternative will be not to leave any choice for that person but to speak in english for example if the partner has zero japanese skill right so he has no choice but speaking in english even though he doesn't want to right so that's kind of like uh, it's really hard to change someone's behavior <laughs> and uh, so yeah just keep working on finding a way to make their life easier instead of just forcing behavior to occur just because you think that in your culture it's completely normal to talk to another friend in a foreign language because you want to practice right because like those habits were built upon decades of cultural 
things, right? They are not like this just because they want to do it at that day. It's like 30 years of cultural behaviors. So, but there might be some exception for things like, you know, Japan used to be one of the countries that are well known for spending cash and not like credit card. But then after a few advanced company build innovative products like PayPay, credit card, like Sika, this kind of thing, cash just almost disappear. I mean, like a lot of people use cashless payment now. So if you have like this kind of like innovative product that just brings so much benefits to the users that they have no choice, but switching to that payment, it will be really good. So yeah, that, that's kind of like the only way to change someone's behavior. So. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Focus more on people's pain points instead of trying to change people mm -hmm. themselves. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks again so much. And I can't wait to see yep. how things work out for your company in the coming months and years. Yep. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, if you're interested in based in Japan and you want to try out the app just to find new friends, make new connections, feel free to try the app, leave some reviews that will be tremendously helpful. And uh, yeah, looking for, if you're into the marketing side as well, feel free to reach out. We can have lunch together and talk. And yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Great. And you can find everything that you need in the links in the description of this episode. I'll be sure to put those down below. And thanks again. Thank you very much. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to check out the links in the description of the episode to learn more about Philip and his language exchange app, SeiwaYu. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and share it with a friend, colleague, or connection on LinkedIn to help spread the perspectives and information shared in the podcast. And please remember to go ahead and subscribe or follow in whatever platform you're using, and also leave a rating and review if you enjoyed the podcast. If you would like to support the podcast, please check out my link to the show's coffee page to keep me well-caffeinated and making content. As always, feel free to email me at businesssuccessjapan at gmail.com if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics. I'd love to hear from you directly, so if you'd like to leave a voice message, you can find the link to do that in the description as well. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. Until next time, mata kondo.